Hey there, welcome to We Been Had, a song-by-song song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, yeah, tonight we are continuing into Anodyne. I don't know about you, but I think this show is the highest concentration yet of any episode of just songs that I've loved for decades. So hopefully we don't either get too weird on them or talk ourselves into hating them or... Do you include Give Back the Key to My Heart in that? Emphatically. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like, um, so the songs covered tonight are Give Back the Key to My Heart, Chickamauga, and either New Madrid or New Madrid, depending on where you grew up. You know, if someone came to me and said like, you have to spur the moment, play a one-man acoustic show playing some three-song stretch of Uncle Tupelo. I think this is the only three-song stretch that I could just like up and do. Like, just have known and loved these songs so much. I'm I'm glad to hear that it's not like three tracks off of Graveyard Shift <laughs> or the last three tracks on uh, Still Feel Gone. <laughs> the nice thing about that is the lyrics would be easy if it's all right. Oh, no, that's right. That is the... it's all right. Just repeat. <laughs> no. um, yeah, so this should be a good show. One thing, um, if you'll indulge me, one thing I did want to throw in first, though, throughout the show, we've detoured a bunch into talking about Brian Henneman and the Bottle Rockets, and I realized that I have a lot to say about the subject that is kind of left unsaid on the show, so I started a companion blog project where I'm writing about all the Bottle Rockets songs, or at least all of them on the first few albums, and then... Then we'll see. It's called The Bars on Fire, right? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> Coffee Monkey? No, but okay, I'm... See, I, I, I've got things to say about Coffee Monkey. I'll get there. Uh, the series is actually called Wave That Flag. It's on my website, uh, keithpilly.com. The nice thing about having a weird name is that if you just Google Keith Pilly Bottle Rockets, you'll get there. Um, yeah. So check it out. It's... You know, I'd say it's 40% as fun as this show since it's just me and there's no audio. But, you know, that's still, <laughs> that's a that's a substantial amount of fun. Come on. Not really selling it. Like 40%? Like <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to be accurate. You yeah. know, so you're not involved. Like 50% of the show. Yeah, okay. You're bringing 50% of the fun here. Uh, you know, like, come on. Without without my golden vocal delivery, there's got to be some penalty. It's true. So just, I'm just it's just raw math. So your your role in in our process here is like forty percent host, ten percent frontman. <laughs> I am just here to be <laughs> negative. I'm just here to be your hype man. Excellent. Hopefully more in the flavor flav mold than the Sean Combs mold. I still I still maintain, and I will probably take this to my grave, that when we saw Public Enemy and Flavor Flav came out and said, what's up, Indianapolis? <laughs> like, there's no possible scenario that that could be better than that. Right. Like, like he doesn't. What does he know? Indianapolis? Minneapolis? Chuck D says, I don't know what he does, but he's the best in the world at it. What more do you need? Yeah. That's... That's being the best in the world right there. Oh, right on. Um, shall we dig into Give Back the Key to My Heart? Yeah, to the Sam? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know if you even remember this, but at one point your operating theory about this song was that there was a bet between Bob Mould and Doug Sam, and the loser had to record the song Mega Mega. I don't remember this at all. Do you remember that song? I remember Mega Mega, yeah. yeah. And uh, the and the winner got to got to perform with Uncle Tupelo. <laughs> Probably before you knew it was a cover, but <laughs> I have no recollection of that, but that's I want that to be true. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I can verify. Fantastic. Uh yeah, so Give Back the Key to My Heart is a duet with So do you pronounce it Sam or Sam? I think um, it's Sam. I pronounce it Sam just because um, you know, if we're just taking liberties with the English language, nah. I... New Madrid, yo. Um, I've always said Sam, but I've also always wondered if I've had it wrong. Um, yeah, so Doug Sam, beloved outlaw country figure. I've never been able to get into him, but I know a lot of people whose taste I respect love him. Brian Henneman really likes yeah, him. Brian old... Henneman's a big uh, Doug Sam fan. Bottle Rockets did a whole tribute album. Yeah, Songs of Sam, right? Yeah, that's... Uh... Be a while before I get to that on Wave That Flag, available on KeithPilly.com. Um, I guess, so this is kind of rad. Apparently, the whole deal with this was that a couple members of the band just ran into him at a hotel and invited him to come over to the studio and do a song. And he shows up in this, like, muscle car with carrot juice all over his face and tries to hook him on carrot juice, saying that it's, uh, it's even better than cocaine. Yeah, well, he died like five years after drinking that <laughs> carrot juice, so... You don't fuck with carrot juice, man. I mean, like, you live fast and die young. Yeah, he has kind of an interesting backstory. I didn't realize that, but he, he played on stage with Hank Williams Sr. Yeah, he's, he was around forever. When he was when Doug Sam was 11, and that was Hank Williams' last public performance. That's nuts. Yeah, wasn't he like a prodigy? Yeah. yeah, he was offered a spot on the Grand Old Opry when he was 13, but his mom made him finish junior high school. <laughs> what a tyrant. Junior high just kills <laughs> so much good music over and over. Did you, so before we talk about the, the Tupelo version, did you check out the uh, like his original version of this? I did. The tu- I like the Tupelo version a lot better. I'm with you. Like, his version has, like, this just kind of fragile 70s stringy country thing to it. He does have, he he was in a number of bands, but I think my favorite name is Sir Doug. Sir, is it Sir Doug or Sir Douglas? Okay. And the Texas Tornadoes. Like, that's, that's pretty, that is, it's pretty sweet. I think even, I think ZZ Top ended up, like, doing some... I don't know, they at least have an album called Texas Tornado or something like that that I think is like an oblique. I, if ZZ Top respects you, you're doing something right is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I have yet to see a Heartbreakers uh, tribute album. You know, like no Tom Petty songs, just Heartbreakers. <laughs> Attractions, Imposters. That's kind of, that's an interesting idea. Blackhearts, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. <laughs> trying to remember, there's... Oh, I was trying to think of who has the most annoying... There's like one backup band name that particularly annoys me. Couldn't remember who it was. It's Steve Earle and the Dukes. I just, I've always thought that was so lazy. It is kind of weird. Like, you expect more out of Steve Earle. Yeah, he's a... 
Well, I mean, he's. I don't know. Do you know who does the art for his albums? They're they're all they're like amazingly consistent. Yeah, like to the point where it's got to be the same person. Right? It has to be. I don't know. They're all they're on a continuum or something. Back to give back the key to my heart, though. So yeah, I think this is a great song. I, this one, I think, sound and arrangement, it would have fit right in on March. Um, so it's kind of an interesting swerve back after just like the ass kicking swagger or the long cut. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just as I was reading through the lyrics, I was I'm interested that as to how he uh, he ascribed gender to cocaine. Like, well, you've got a friend named Cocaine, and to me, he is to blame. Okay, I think it makes sense in the context of the song, though, because, God, I had never caught that. You're totally right. Like, the whole verse he's doing it then. He has drained light. Um, but, you know, I think he's setting it up so <laughs> so that Cocaine is his, uh, his rival for the love of the woman being addressed and it's, it's Texas in the seventies. So they're going to be very heteronormative. So clearly the cocaine is male. It just, it just, it's like Spanish or something or another foreign language where the, like the nouns have genders. Yeah. Like in the Doug Sam construct of the Tex-Mex language, like cocaine is a male noun. <laughs> Who are we to argue? I, so I, I, I mean that line the whole cocaine bit has always just been my favorite thing about the song, actually. I think it's up there with Patty's uh, Listen to Her Heart for just, like, great but incongruous lines about cocaine. And, like, more music needs that. Like, every song needs just random coke. Yeah, it's not like the, you know, like the the Rolling Stones kind of dance around, I guess with the exception of Sister Morphine. But, um... <laughs> You know, so it's like a lot of artists really dance around the the topic, but you know, like white lines, yeah. Like, you know, like this this is pretty much you know like you've got a friend in cocaine. <laughs> I guess there's also the Eric Clapton song that's just called cocaine. cocaine. Okay, so that total random thing. Apparently, so that song was written by J.J. Kale. It was a very recent thing for me. To realize that J.J. Kale and John Kale from the Velvet Underground were not the same person. Um, like, I thought, like, this dude from the Velvet Underground just had this... Like the uber prolific, yeah, like, classic like, rock songwriter? Weird, varied thing where he's, like, one of the Velvets, but he's also writing this, like, dumbass Clapton song. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so I, one thing that's wild about me, looking at the... Wild to me, looking at the instruments... This one, it feels to me like they just threw the arrangement together on the fly. Like, this does not sound much rehearsed. So nobody's doing much except Max Johnston with the fiddle part that's kind of up in front. Um, I thought this had, like, the archetypal Jeff Tweedy bass part with the, like, ba-bump-bump thing that he does. But it's actually John Stirat playing bass, according to Discogs. So, you know, we've talked about our theory that Stirat got the job because he can play bass like Tweety. Here we go. Maybe this was his audition. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, there are no overdubs, right? So, right. I mean, this is probably the only one that sounds like they're, like, they just played it in one take. Yeah. Like, like the rest of them, like Chickamauga, for example, like, that blows me away that that was a, 
there are no overdubs in that song. I've actually, uh, on the notes to Chickamauga, I've got some further information about that. But Excellent. I'll save that for the next I'm segment. Very excited about this. Um, but yeah, I, to me like this, I mean, it's, I, I love the song. It sounds great, but it does just sound like a bunch of dudes fucking around with guitars, you know, and that's fine. Like, I wouldn't want the whole album to be that, but this is nice. Yeah. And I think, I think interspersing Doug, Sam in there with, uh, both of their voices is helpful because, yeah. uh, his voice, I, I don't really like his voice. So Little Sam goes a long way. Yeah. Even then, like I like his delivery in this version better than in the original version. Like, yeah, he picked up some extra gravel and he needed it. So one thing that I had flagged, I had this like stupid thought loop where I thought it was really just incongruous. That there's a cover song here. Then I realized that actually, like every all of their albums except Still Feel Gone have covers, and really. The unusual thing is that Anodyne only has one because, you know, I mean, like, March is half covers. and Yeah, and I think the B-side for Still Feel Gone has a few covers on it, so they maybe just didn't make it to the album. Yeah. Is it, that's where I Want to Destroy You is on the yeah. B-side of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I is unfortunate that didn't make it onto the... That would have been better than some of the legit... You know, so, okay... Totally, again, dropping us off the track, but maybe not. Thinking about just covers in this era also got me wondering, like, I can't find documentation anywhere about when exactly they recorded the version of Effigy that was on the No Alternative CD. Yeah. You know, like, that sounds like the Anodyne era lineup to me, but I don't know. It's got to be a... About then, because No Alternative came out in 92 or 93, right? Yeah. And it's too it's too good and too just, like, fleshed out to have been sitting around from an old session. Yeah. And I think, I don't know about you, your experience, but I feel like No Alternative is, like, it's, like, kind of a touchstone, like, compilation. Like, so many people had that yeah. CD. Like, it just was was sort of like just one of the CDs that everyone had. I was I was talking about it on Twitter today and like I literally don't think I entered a dorm room in the year 1994 that didn't have a copy of that CD in it. That that was just so ubiquitous. It'd be interesting to know what the sales were on that thing. Yeah. Like But I mean there were some great artists on there. Yeah. That, like I mean there's a pavement song, there's an Uncle Tupelo song. There's a like a is there a Lucinda Williams song on there? I don't think so. I don't think but, so. There's, a, there's the only good Goo Goo Dolls song ever. It's them covering Bitch. Oh, but yeah. Like the Stones Bitch, but they've got their neighbor singing it, and he's much cooler than anyone in the Goo Goo Dolls. There's a Patti Smith song yeah. on there. It's a great Bob Mould song. Bob Mould, yeah. It just, as a somewhat impressionable 18 year old like that was sort of a gateway cd for me well like of the big ubiquitous cds of the early 90s i think that smokes the singles soundtrack which is the other one that everybody had like you know at the time i would have like fought you if you said that it was bad but like looking back like yeah it forced an entire generation to try to like mother love bone right it's have you tried to watch singles at any point? Yeah, my wife and I watched it pretty recently, and it really didn't hold yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It's kind of like when you watch, uh, so my wife and I went to see, I think it was right before the new reboot of Ghostbusters came out. Mm. We went and saw Ghost, the original Ghostbusters in the theater. Yeah. And like, still holds up pretty well. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of, you know, we also went and saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Also holds oh, up pretty well. I, I Thank God. But, man, singles is really like, it's like a time capsule. Of nothing good. Yeah. It's, uh, I just remember one of the bits in that, in that movie is that they're like, they're at like an Alice in Chains show. Yeah. And, uh, he's like trying to pick up this lady and I'm like, how does that work? Like you're at this super loud, slow metal show. Yeah. And, and like, I, I mean, maybe their his hearing is better than mine, but I, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah. So, uh, back to give back the key to my heart. Um, I don't know. I, this is, I don't think this is going to be a problem for the other two songs, but this is one that I love, but I don't know that I have a ton constructive to say about it because it's, it's so simple and just so it is what it is. Yeah. So one thing that's always struck me as interesting is the way that they deliver or the way that Doug Sam delivers that straight into your heart deer line where it's like straight into your heart. And then there's like a extra long pause and he does the deer really quickly. Yeah. It's just kind of an interesting, like, like sort of way to construct a, a lyric. It is. I get, I think that's part of what I like better about like the older him singing is that he has these like weird phrasings and I don't know. It's, it's just, it's more idiosyncratic and cooler that I, I remember, um, uh, I don't know. This song is a lot of fun to play live. I just, I remember my uncle Tupelo ripoff band, you know, like throwing this together last minute to play in St. Paul. And like, it was just, it's so fun to belt this out and to do the straight into your heart beer. Um, it's so easy. It's three chords. You barely have to move your hand. All you need is Max Johnston. Yeah, I wonder what he's up to these days. I don't know. It's uh, I wonder what uh, if we got together the like trail of tears of the uh, <laughs> you know like the, the heap of bones of former like. Jeff Tweedy associates. Jeff Tweedy, multi-instrumentalists. <laughs> you know, like, I... So that would be an interesting thing to track down. I know that we've talked about this offline, that now Wilco is a corporation that Tweedy and Tony Margarita own and, like, everyone else is his employee. But I don't think that that was the case... You know, I think that's a recentish thing. I mean, recent, like, last decade. So, I don't know what the deals were, but Johnston might still be getting royalties for Anodyne and AM, and was he on Being There? I think he might have been gone by the time Being I'm trying to think who the... I feel like, when did they add uh, the guy who always has the laptop up, who's the... He was after. Is he, he was way after being there. Is he? Is he like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he. I mean, like, like it might be the case where getting getting the boot early might have been better for him. That's uh. That would be fantastic if it was just like serendipitous that he. 
He's still getting checks that he gets to cash. Oh, I don't know. Anything else on Give Back the Key to My Heart? No, I'm, re I'm ready to uh, Chickamauga. All right, let's take a break and then get back into it. We are back on Chicka motherfucking Maga. River of Death. River of Death. Right on. That's one of the Wikipedia translations, like seven of them. But uh, according to Wikipedia, which is is often wrong, uh, Chickamauga is a Cherokee word meaning river of death. But that's a loose translation. Very loose. Right on. Thank God that they actually specify Cherokee, though. And don't just fall back and they're like, it's a Native American word. You know, like... Everyone on the continent spoke the same language. You know? <laughs> it's right. All the tribes spoke exactly the same language. But, uh, yeah, I know this is such a great song. Holy shit. I feel like if you if you were opening, like, a Uncle Tupelo Zoo, and you wanted, like, what's the, what's the one, like, Jay Farrar song that you would put in there? Like, I feel like this would be one that you would put in there. I, I, yes. Because it's got, like, the dark, powerful lyrics, and then it's just got the crazy good guitar solo. Like, yeah. it's, it's everything that, like, this era Jay Farrar is about, right? Yeah. Like, I think this and Looking for a Way Out are just, like, tied for my favorite Jay Farrar song, Uncle Tupelo era. It's just, oh, Jesus Christ. The, uh, the, the guitar part, like, it, as with looking for a way out, it's like he's just shooting lightning out of his guitar. Yeah, and he's just. It, it, I imagine if you're in the band while they're recording this, you're just like, you're just like in awe. Yeah, there's a thing I'm curious about, and I, they must have. So they must have rehearsed this a bunch. You know, they must have known what they were going to do when they were recording. But the structure is a little weird, where it. You know, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then it goes into, you know, it's a pretty co common thing to play the verse chords and solo over it. And then usually people go into like a vocal chorus again. And in this, where the vocal chorus would be, they do the chorus chords, but Farrar just like keeps playing lead and dials it up, you know, and it, it feels like they're just like, oh, well, he's on a roll, just let him do it. I don't know if that's... I, I doubt that's actually what's going on, but that's sure as hell what it feels like. I feel like it, it, it'd be like being in the Jimi Hendrix experience or something. You're like, you're like, okay. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> so, all right, and try to keep up and... Uh, Stand back and be amazed. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, and you know, this the, that guitar part is especially nuts with the claimed first take no overdubs thing. Uh, I looked at the credits. Tweedy's playing rhythm guitar, and so I think that's Tweedy that actually brings everybody in on the song. Stirat's playing bass, and then Jay's singing and just wailing on lead. But um, I was rereading that Rolling Stone 25th anniversary oral history today, and uh, there's one part where they quote Brian Paulson saying that Jay was really meticulous about getting the right vocal take, which means, like, by implication, that means that the first take part of the myth can't be true. You know, like if he's meticulous about getting the right vocal take, then then everything on the album can't have been the first take. So I, you know, but at the same 
that same quote reiterated the no overdubs thing. I guess like half of the myth is shot on its ass and half of it is reinforced. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think the no overdubs is more impressive than the first take. Right. It's just hard to capture something that perfect in a single in a single song. Right. Right. You know, and uh, I mean, this solo is like the kind of thing that you would expect to be an overdub. Um, and the fact that he was just doing that live. Fuck. And like, I, I love the way that when the way Paulson mixed the song, he respects that by like the song ends just with Ferrar's feedback, just kind of like, like, I don't know. I just, I love that. Like he lets that get the final word when that is, the soul of the song, I guess. So I'm an idiot about lyrics. I always took this song as just using a uh, civil war battle as a metaphor for relationship trouble, but I assumed it was a romantic relationship. I, you know, it never occurred to me that it might be about the relationship between Farrar and Tweedy. And now that seems to be just kind of taken as a given. But in, in his memoir, I think Tweedy wrote that he didn't realize it for a long time either. And he was singing it. He's, he's up there singing the harmonies on it every night and didn't know. Yeah, I wonder if that's true, though, because it, it seems it seems a little petty for Jay, Jay Farrar to me. But I, yeah, it's tough to say, especially in that same oral history. Stirat goes out of his way to say that everything was really harmonious in the anodyne sessions so who knows but like i mean today I, I listened to the whole album when i was biking home from work and like it really is true that even if everyone was getting along well in the sessions jay's songs are you know throughout the album they're all just they're about either being pissed at someone or reconciling with someone or you know the, the album ends with him saying no more will i see you i mean like you don't have to project much to think that like he was troubled by the interpersonal state of the band. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and some of those, some of the lyrics bear that out. Like when jousting is for pleasure and pleasure is way out of hand. Right. The time is right for getting out while we still can. Yeah. I've always liked this, that uh, fighting fire with unlit matches from our respective trenches. Like I've always liked that as a couplet like that. Yeah. It's more great lines. And that really seems to, you know, that feels like an apt description of a creatively tense situation where everyone's dug in. Yeah. I mean, like, like it's almost, when you look at it that way, it's almost weirder if it's not about Tweety. That's true. I think, uh, and I'm sure we've talked about this, but I I think one of the challenges that, people have sometimes in interpersonal relationships is when there's a initial power imbalance. Yeah. You know, so like Farrar was the dominant musician for a long time and it's probably difficult for him to see Tweedy sort of working his way up. Yeah. And asserting himself as more of a equal partner. Yeah, I'm sure it was tough. So I think that yeah, I mean, maybe that's the the frustrations, but they're, they're again with, and I think this song and New Madrid kind of are just great examples of like what Jay Farrar does well and what Jeff Tweedy does well. Yeah, like totally agree. It's like a it's like a little case study, and like Farrar's got these really intricate, dark lyrics and and 
just crazy good guitar work and Tweety has got more simplistic musical melodies yeah. but and his his words kind of make sense in total but like if you take them individually they're kind of they're sometimes a little nonsensical yeah yep but they for whatever reason it works for both of them yeah it, it, it's a good showcase the uh so the follow-up to my never getting that this song was very likely about jeff tweedy i also like just a week ago realized Wilco's song Box Full of Letters also makes the most sense if it's Jeff Tweedy talking to Jay Farrar. It had just never occurred to me that that's the obvious reading of that song, but yeah. It's a it's a little weird that they that they've had a like a semi-public feud for this long. Yeah, and I mean, I don't I feel like it's not even a feud anymore as just like a yeah, you're not my thing. You know, that when Tweedy was on Marin's WTF show, he he said something like, they can talk to each other and it's fine, but mom and dad are never getting back together again. You know, so I don't know. Like, it's not... I, that's got to be a weird thing for both of those guys to always be act, asked about the state of a relationship that that hasn't been hasn't been a going concern in twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I imagine that is strange for them. Uh, It'd be like if you if someone asked you about or you know, a band you were in when you were in high school. Yeah, I don't know. Those guys are fine. So one thing that jumped out at me. This is like one more song where the harmonies sound great. And they do a thing a lot where, you know, they'll harmonize in choruses, but they'll also occasionally both sing a line in a verse for emphasis. But I wanted to use that as a gateway to bring up something that just like hit me in the parking lot of Home Depot. That uh, throughout, all the way through Uncle Tupelo, neither of them ever multi-track vocals. You know, like, like there's always just one or the other or both singing, but you never hear two J vocal tracks or two Jeff vocal tracks, uh, you know, throughout Uncle Tupelo. And the second Uncle Tupelo ended, you know, the first song on AM, Tweedy is multi-tracking the fuck out of his voice and continues, you know, to this day. I, it's just, that's interesting to me because like that's, it's a common studio trick and it's a good studio trick and... It's clearly one that Jeff Tweedy likes, but they never went to that well in Uncle Tupelo. I do think Jay Farrar is more of a purist in terms of, like, he likes just straightforward Americana sound. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't have a lot of that a lot of that uh, tracking in it. Well, and he also, like, has one of the voices. You're right, yeah. You know, like, like, you wouldn't double track that voice. Because... It'd be terrifying. <laughs> It sounded like it was coming to get you. It, uh, I remember there was a big controversy, not really controversy, but like, uh, when the Smashing Pumpkins were big, that people bought Siamese Dream and they went to see them live. Yeah, they were surprised at how different they sounded without yeah. like guitar track on guitar track on guitar track. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know, that was sort of a, like, that was my first, like, uh, introduction to the fact that, like, there are, there are studio tricks that people do that make it, that make the music sound different than how it sounds live. Yeah. That's, uh... Took me a while to be okay with that, too, I feel like. like Same. Like, it's easy to be in this purity mindset of, like, it's cheating. 
But, you know, but I mean, obviously it's not. Like, it's studio tricks are a trick. And the other thing, like, so Tweedy, in the Wilco era, Tweedy loves to multitrack his voice, and it sounds great on record. But I must have seen them in the being era, being their era, I don't even know how many times. Like, every time they were within 200 miles of Minneapolis. But those songs sounded great, not, you know, like, just with live vocal delivery, too. Like, it's a tool, but it's not a crutch, I guess, if you're doing it right. Yeah, I mean, for some people, like, right. if you're, I mean, if you're T-Pain and you're, <laughs> like, you know, like, it it just sounds like somebody dicking around with an auto-tune machine. Yeah. Then... Well, or even, like, I saw some, actually, so it's the same kind of situation. I was reading somewhere, someone pointed out that in Clash songs, like, Joe Strummer is rarely multi-tracked but Mick Jones is usually multi-track, you know, again, because Strummer's got this great fat voice and Jones is kind of thinner. And, you know, I, I think Tweedy's voice is better than Mick Jones's, but, you know, it's the same thing where, like, one guy can get more use out of the tool than the other, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, you wouldn't, like, I'm trying to think of a... Like, you probably wouldn't multi-track, like, Johnny Cash's voice. That right? would sound weird. But they did, uh, you know, on on all of his old Sun Records stuff, like, he's just drowning in reverb, and so he might as well be. You know, like, yeah. you hear two of him just because there's so much reverb. And it sounds distinctive and kind of weird. It's, it's just a, it's a, that stuff is fascinating to me, just how the, like, how they go from... It's the most impressive when they they're really good live and really good in the studio. Yeah, but it's sometimes more interesting when they're one is really good and the other isn't. Yes. Did you, did you ever see the uh, VH1 biopic of Def Leppard? I have not seen that. It's is that the one that's sponsored by like Smirnoff Ice? It, it's or something got like product that? placement for Smirnoff Ice. A product that didn't exist when the movie was taking place, and, correct? And, and they they show a man who drank himself to death wasting <laughs> one. <laughs> so yeah, it's got some problems. Classy, Bon it's, Scott or? Uh, no, it's I I can't remember my names of Def Leppard members. Wasn't Bon Scott ACDC? He is, he is ACDC, but he's... Um, but, but the reason I was bringing it up, there's this scene where uh, where they're trying to establish that, that Mutt Lang, the producer, is a genius. And so Def Leppard's in the, uh, in the studio, and you know they show him like really pissing off the lead singer of Def Leppard by making him sing a vocal part a bunch of times and a bunch of times and a bunch of times. And you know after the last repetition, like the, 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 the singer's just like, why are you doing this, you, you asshole? And Mutt Lang is like, well, let me show you why. And, you know, he plays back all the vocal tracks at once. And just the fact of vocal multi- multi-tracking blows Def Leppard's mind. It's it sounds glorious. I'm, it's, uh, yeah. It's pretty great. It's like the uh, like the Steely Dan, like uh, Michael McDonald thing, or like they, they made him do like, like 100 takes or something. <sighs> you know, what you're up against there is that anything involved with Steely Dan is just pain. Of, of course, those albums are tough to produce because it's just—it's hard to live up to that level of precision. Uh, um, and speaking of precision, um, so one one thing that hits me about Chickamauga is it's so easy to focus on the you know that crazy ass lead part and and the vocal delivery, 
But this song also, like, Ken Coomer is kind of quietly kicking ass on this. Like, it's got this just great driving drum beat, and, uh, you know, Sturat's doing really great just kind of propulsive bass. Uh, you know, the rhythm section is really just kind of chugging this song along as all the flashy stuff happens over it. Yeah, it's a good it's a good observation because I feel like that gets lost. Like I'm always dazzled by the by the guitar solo. Like it just is every time I listen wow, to it, it you... blows it blows me away yeah. how good it is. Did you do you have any memories of seeing Sunbolt do this live? Not this one. I don't think so, no. I mean I'm sure I saw it because I saw them I mean I saw them on Trace a number of times. Yeah. I the thing so uh, the reason I asked like I clearly remember seeing them play it and I even remember like watching so here, this is annoying I can remember watching Ferrars and Bolquist's hands and seeing that in big chunks of the song they were both just like both playing big fat chords which you don't usually you know you wouldn't usually double up on that but like they're good enough that they can do it and not make it muddy. But I can't fucking for the life of me remember when Sunvolt played this live, if Jay took the lead then or if Boquist did. And I wish, I don't know. I, I just remember. remember on like the Rockers, Jay and maybe he still does this, but Jay Farrar had this like old, like beat up telecast, like black yeah. and white telecaster that yeah. he would he would like summon for these like just just ass kicking and it was like I was like, okay, it's like call into the bullpen. It's like, okay, <laughs> bring in the uh, bring in the black and white Telecaster. Like, I'm gonna melt some faces. That's okay. That's an awesome observation. That's also kind of a good piece of stagecraft to have. Like, make a production of like, oh fuck, he's bringing he's bringing out the beast. Everybody, sit down. It's probably more of an indictment to me seeing them too many times that I, I, I've noticed that. Like, it, it just is a like. So you see Wilco play, and like uh, Jeff Tweedy just has a lot of guitars. Like he yeah. plays a lot of different guitars. Yes. But Jay sort of had that go-to go-to guitar. Yeah. I wonder I, if he still has it. I hope so. I like it when people keep guitars forever. That's the thing I love about Prince is there's this the same you know like he 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 had all of the weird like Purple Rain swirly guitars and then he had like the big Prince symbol guitar. There's also this like one butterscotch Telecaster that you see pictures of him playing in like 1980 and you see pictures of him playing it a couple months before he died and like I just love that like yeah. That's, that guitar was always there. It's like that uh, Paul Paul McCartney bass, like that. Yeah. And all that just sort of iconic, like. If you got your thing, you stick with your thing. Yeah, that's why. Uh, that's why you uh, you bought all those Les Claypool basses, <laughs> right? So you can. Exactly. That and I, I mean that was that was mostly an investment. <laughs> I know those are going to be worth a fortune someday. Um. Uh, Chickamauga. Anything else on it? I... Uh, we should probably mention. I don't know if we mentioned it. It, it was uh, there was a civil war battle called Chickamauga as well, uh, but I think it was called that because the creek that ran. It's kind of like the Battle of Bull Run. Like okay. I think there was a Chickamauga Creek that ran through the battlefield. Makes sense. I'm weak on my civil war battles. Is there anything like noteworthy? I mean, I assume it was a pretty brutal one. 
being a civil yeah, war. Yeah, I mean, that's all I know about it. I, I think most civil war battles are pretty were pretty uh, pretty <laughs> rough. <laughs> it's not like there are any that were like, oh, well, that one wasn't so bad. That was the pleasant civil war battle. Uh, you know, okay, but I mean, even there, like, if you're going for the, it's obviously yeah, it'd have to be Antietam, right? If you're going for the like the if you're going for the one where you're like, okay, what's the darkest one I can come up with? Uh, I I don't know. There's yeah, I don't even. I'm not sure which is the most awful. What I was gonna say was like, if you go for the uh, this song must be about strife with Jeff Tweedy interpretation, like Civil War. You know, like he could have chosen a World War One battle. He could have chosen a, a Mexican War battle. But no, Civil War, or brother against brother. Yeah. I don't know. Peloponnesian War battle. <laughs> Those are some tough-ass battles. Mm-hmm. Anything else no, on uh-uh. Chickamauga? All right, let's take a break and come back to New Madrid. Right, we are back. Um, so there's a stupid thing. If I'm referring to the song, I call it New Madrid. But in the song, they say New Madrid. What do you do? Well, unfortunately, there's a. This is a just. Just if you want a quick example of how difficult a person I've always been. There's a town in Iowa that is spelled like Madrid, Spain, but they pronounce Madrid. So you go Madrid. I don't. I go Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> because and my argument is like there's another small town near Ames where I went to college called Gilbert, and I'm like if you're gonna call it Madrid, I'm gonna start calling it Gilbert. <laughs> I actually I feel like we could do an entire supplemental show about stupid Midwestern mispronunciations. You know, Nicollet Avenue is two blocks away from us. Yeah, um, uh, it's. I've been to both Berlin and Berlin, Wisconsin. Yeah, so there's also a, I believe there's a Louisville, Nebraska. Yeah. And a Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> What's, uh, don't you have one in Iowa that's like some creative pronunciation of diagonal? Well, so that, this is a different story. This is my, my mother's family is from the metropolis of, of the greater diagonal region. But they pronounce it because it's it's the it's the bottom one of the bottom counties in Iowa. So it's yeah. like it's sort of like culturally Missouri. Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally. So they they pronounce it with like kind of this like muted southern drawl. Yeah. So they call it diagonal. Sure. Um, which I thought was the way they pronounced it until I was like fourteen and I looked at it. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, so... So great, now I'm going to be ostracized in my ancestral home. Yep, now you're on the record. There's 75 people that won't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, new... I, I just, I cannot... I, I have to say New new Madrid. I, I can't. But when people are referring to the fault line, they call it the New Madrid Fault. Do they? They do. Okay. So, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, I guess... I, you gotta go with whatever spoken language people are actually using. It's the it's the Crick Creek yeah. argument. I I yeah. still maintain I don't know how you get Crick out of C R E E K, but Warsh out of Wash. 
Yeah, it's no, there's no R. Like it's the same, same dialect. I don't know. I got nothing. Um. So it's interesting that 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 is how people pronounce the fault. That I, I didn't know that. So yeah, and in, in case you don't know, the song, the title of the song is about is about this fault that runs under Missouri. That uh, there was one big earthquake. That well, yeah. So so far, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's so that's what I was building up to is like there was this weird thing in my schools where like the faculty in the Blair Nebraska educational system took this weird pride in destruction and so like the 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 top thing was that we were near strategic air command headquarters and the russians were going to get us but they also got these big jollies out of like well if that big fault in missouri goes we're toast and so i do remember being lectured about how you know someday the fault was going to be big and it was going to be much bigger and worse than any decadent california fault um yeah it's it's bullshit (laughs) not to not to like cast aspersions on the like tectonic plate knowledge (laughs) of the blair high school bear staff but uh i i I don't think uh, statistics would agree with that analysis i think it would have to be a motherfucker of a st louis area earthquake to be felt north of omaha (laughs) well that that and i mean how many earthquakes just anecdotally how many earthquakes have you experienced in nebraska that of any substance none so this isn't nebraska my undergrad out in western minnesota um out in morris there was like just this out of the blue earthquake there i don't remember when it was but um a bunch of buildings like one of the buildings lost a floor just out of this to oh, this wow. lake. Yeah. Actual damage? Yeah. Huh. So prairie earthquakes happen, Chad. Watch out. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying anecdotally, like, you hear about a lot more earthquakes in California than you do in uh, in the Midwest. Well, that's that's how they get you. Sense of complacency. And that's why Jeff Tweedy is here to, you know, to shake you out of your complacency. He and uh, I've been browning. Okay, yeah, so did you... I did, yeah. So what is the story with Mr. Browning and his prediction? He just a, he was a, just a guy who said that there was going to be a huge earthquake in the new uh, Madrid Fault uh, on December 2nd and 3rd, 1990. Okay. He was wrong. <laughs> uh, was, he, was he any kind of expert? No, or? nope. Uh, but he was, a he was like a hobbyist. Okay. Um, and he, uh, I think there was, he, despite the fact that like the, the actual like seismologist didn't, didn't even recognize his claim because they didn't want to give it any credence. Yeah. It did. It sounds like it did promote a lot of fear and kind of hysteria among people in the area. Okay. And that would have been a pretty recent memory when this song was written. Then. Yeah. So I got to ask you, like, there's, you know, the title refers to the fault. There's the reference to Browning. The uh, Rivers Run Backwards thing is a direct reference to the Mississippi reversing its flow during the big quake. So there's all that. But I still, I can't extract any literal meaning out of this song. That's That's one of the things I love about it, actually, is that like it's a Jeff Tweedy thing where like I think you get 
you get what he's trying to get at, but the words itself don't don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it like it communicates a vibe without communicating information. I feel like this is what it's like to understand Gravity's Rainbow. Like this is the feeling that you get. Like, yeah. like the individual words don't make any sense, and the, <laughs> but... the stories don't make any sense. And you're like, why is there a giant adenoid that you're shoveling cocaine into? Like this doesn't make any sense to me. Why isn't it carrot juice? Yeah. So it's like, but. I feel like if you got it, like this is what it would be like. Yeah, I I think you're right. It, it's weird because I think this song is like uncharacteristic. Like most of Tweety's songs in this era are really like simple, straightforward statements of fact. And then like this song is kind of where he ended up going for everything eventually. You know, like yeah, it's like I mean, it's like you know, what's the I've been an American Aquarium drinker. Like, yeah. Who the fuck knows what that means? I don't know what that means, but I, I like the song and it makes sense. Yeah, you get you get a vibe from yeah. it. You get, you know, if you don't get information, you get an image. So yeah, I mean, this is such a good song. You know, we we jumped into meaning, but let's just uh, the song itself. Like, I I love sequencing wise how Anodyne swings from like chill country to light your hair on fire to chill country. This. Again, this this could be a march arrangement, you know, guitars, bass, you got a banjo. So simple, so clean. I mean, I, I think it really like foretells what he's going to become as a songwriter. Like this is yeah. kind of what I like about Summer Teeth is these yeah. like these songs that are really that are really just sort of like I don't know what you call them if you call them country or pop songs or whatever, but they're they're just really good crafted songs. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, once again, like as with most Tweety songs of this era, it's really easy. Um, you, it's mostly G, C, and D, There's some A, but like you, just, you leave your hand in one position all the way through. It, it's so easy to play. It sounds so good. As a novice guitar player, I actually think A is kind of a tough chord to play. But but even this, like it, this is an easy. It does an easy variation of A, where you're just like you you play a G and you only move. You hold two of your fingers in place and move two of them. It's it's it's, it's this weird awesome lazy man's A. All for it. It's uh, my my lazy man's A is uh, also called A minor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good the mold A. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just I don't know. Like it's funny. Like I had this, I had this perception of this song as like slow country, but it's really not that slow. It's got, it's kind of peppy, and like Coomer gives it this nice, easy swinging beat that I I love Mike Hydorn, but I don't think Mike Hydorn is chill enough to play this song. Um, yeah, I think. Uh... And I think that this is probably a good example of like what you like about Wilco is that they they found a way to to max maximize uh, Tweety's talents. Yeah, you know. So I was thinking about this today, actually, like as an outgrowth of thinking about that Coomer Hydorn thing. Last episode, I kind of made a joke about like arguably Anodyne isn't as much an Uncle Tupelo album as. A Wilco album with Jay Farrar there. But like I am kind of 
under the table coming around to that, honestly. Because, like, to me, Mike Heidorn feels like this irreplaceable part of, of the core of what Uncle Tupelo is, even though he's not on the best Uncle Tupelo album. He's kind of the core of two-fourths of what Uncle Tupelo yeah, is, Yeah, right? I mean, like, I, I guess you're right, but I don't know, like... But he is, he is, and I, I think I understand what you're saying, because that he is a core to kind of that Sunvolt sound, too. yeah. Like that, that sort of just like he just does a really good job of playing like moving along beats to J for our songs. Yeah, and and you know, and Ken Coomer is it. It still baffles me that Tweedy at one point was like, "Yeah, Coomer, you're not good enough," because Coomer's really good. He is really good. Um, I think he. I mean, maybe it's personality right totally so just kind of off topic but uh i don't know if you remember this but there's a first avenue show where uh tweety subbed in the uh they all come from the twin cities i don't remember that so solid pander yeah i'll take that pander absolutely just uh (laughs) just nobody rocks like springfield hey you know i'm (laughs) But okay, contrast that to uh, Flavor Flav. Like he knew what city he was in. So I guess it's it, it's sort of. I mean, for me, it's like like that's what I want from Flavor Flav. Like <laughs> right. like they just bust him around the Midwest. Like he does he doesn't know. Like there's a Chili's, there's an Applebee's. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter what city it's. It's the same. I uh, I love Tweety's vocal delivery on this. This is like this is peak early mature Tweety. You know, he sounds plaintive. He's he's got that desperate thing going. It it just sounds great. It's like so. There's this thing with guitars where to get really good distortion, you want your amp to be giving you you know 98 percent of what it can give you. And so like it's just starting to break, but doesn't. And like Tweety in this era was really good at doing that with his voice. You know, it's just. It's starting to go. It's a little croaky, but it it holds and it sounds perfect. Yeah, it's like Star Trek, like right on the line. <laughs> yeah. Like Scotty is in his throat, going, "I'm giving her all she can." And it it also so like I talked about the arrangement. The arrangement is reminiscent of March. Uh, it it also feels like a March song and just how tight but loose. Like. It's got this really relaxed vibe, but everything is exactly in its place. And all the pieces mesh together exactly right. And, you know, even the ending is kind of like this weird, like, precision ramshackle where it just abruptly tumbles into the end, but gracefully. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Bob Dylan is really good at that. Like, that's sort of, that's a good way to describe his music. Just, like, precise you know like ramshackle yeah it's if you can pull it it's awesome this is uh you know as, as endings go this is like the exact opposite i think like the first thing i ever one of the first musical observations i ever made was that uh you know when i was in high school and i was like a police super fan just one day it hit me that sting does not fucking know how to end a song and so like every police song just ends with like endless repeats of the same thing as the engineer fades things out you know because he couldn't he couldn't write an ending and the band didn't know how to just tumble into an ending um you know and this is just the whole band is like okay well 
I guess, are you ready to admit to the world that you only got into the police because of the movie Dune? I okay, I that's not quite <laughs> true. I actually I only got into the police because my uncle Lyle told me that the police ruled, and like at that point, anything he said was gold. But yeah, it's a good thing that didn't hold up. <laughs> I did get um, my very first shipment of CD uh, of tapes. From Columbia Record Club, um, I remember like thinking that this was significant. That the first box of tapes I got from Columbia included a copy of Synchronicity, um, you know, and a bunch of other shit. And then like I bought a copy of Dune the day that came, and I was like, "Oh, this means something." Do you know the uh, the doctor in Deadwood? Yeah. In Dune, he's right. a mentat. Yes, yeah. he's. I, I love that guy's like weird ass career. Right, like. And then he's in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, he's Brad Dorif. Yeah. Seriously, like, I just I legit love how fucking weird that guy's career is. It's uh, it is interesting. Like some people just like stay on the periphery for like thirty years. Yeah. Not a lot of people. I mean, it's Patrick Stewart's in Dune too. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He carries a pug into battle. Yeah. Dune. I'm ride or die for for Dune. I am not right. I'm right or die for the book, dude. The movie, the movie has some holes. That's all I'm saying. It, and and they're beautiful holes. Anyway, so I mean, I, yeah, I won't even I won't even try to make it attach. Um, New Madrid. I I don't know. What do you? I mean, just like any. Love it. I think, like I said earlier, I think this is a. These two songs are are kind of what I love about the contrast of of Uncle Tupelo and I think I mean I didn't ever get to see Uncle Tupelo perform live but I think that would have been one of the neat things is you get the best of Jay Farrar and the best of Jeff Tweedy together one thing I'm curious about I've read in several different places that when they were touring Anodyne um, Farrar was just so pissy about Tweedy's ascendance that he wouldn't sing harmonies on Tweety's songs live. And on a song like this, like, I'm curious how that worked, because that's that's not the whole song, but it's a big chunk of the song. It's also kind of a dick move. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it, like, you know, Jeff Tweedy's probably not the easiest person to be around, but... You know, you, you, you're talking trails of bodies behind people, yeah. and Ferrars is more total than Tweety's. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I guess the benefit for us is that we could probably, since the, <coughs> I think the Boquists still live here, we could... We could track this down. Yeah, the challenge, this is always that this is, so, uh, this is a rambling story, but we had a friend who, uh, kind of a friend of a friend who was, uh, who was casual friends with one of the Boquist brothers, and I'm like, I don't think I could be in a room with them, because I feel like I would ask, like, <laughs> like, I'd have two beers, and I'd be like... So how big of a dick is Jay Farrar in person? <laughs> so, I mean, like, I don't know. If you think about, if you're that, there's like this weird hierarchy of, you know, of, of music fame. And like, the lower rungs of it are like, you're not famous, but you've worked with a famous person. And that's got to just be exhausting. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's, especially just given the, just knowing what I know about this area, like, I'm sure they get asked that question 
a lot. Yeah. And it's probably like, look, I was in Sunvolt a decade ago. <laughs> Maybe more than that. Yeah. Like, you know. Played on a couple albums. They were good. I have not talked to that guy <laughs> for a l- Kids have been born and can vote since I last talked to that guy. Leave me alone. We are running kind of long. Yeah, I think that, I think that's all I've got. I'm I'm ready to ready to wrap her up. Right on. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Again, I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. You can find me uh, at Cook six two five two. We would love to hear from you. I mean, we really would. I uh, I've actually have had a, co- a lot of really good interesting conversations with people in the past couple of weeks about the show um i love it every time so track us down um tell us if there's anything you like or don't like mine might seem to end when they send me an email and i i write something back like i'm gonna cut your pretty face (laughs) like that so for some reason that just ends the conversation like what's their level of commitment to this relationship Uh, uh, clearly you're not a poker player (laughs) You're bluffing and winning. Someday someone's <laughs> going to call your bluff. Yeah, I don't know what I do. I'm going to cut your pretty face. <laughs> Shit. Oh, no. If you dug the show, please tell people about it or uh, go to iTunes or Google Play um, or Spotify. Apparently, like, we're, I submitted the show to Spotify and heard nothing, but then I've talked to people who found the show on Spotify. So we exist on Spotify. Um, leave a review wherever you found us. That helps other people find the show. Uh, Thanks, and we will talk to you again soon. Adios. Adios.